My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome to Transmissions. I hope the arrival of the liminal season is treating you well. This week on the show, I am joined by Dan Levers, aka Danalog, Max Hallett, aka Betamax, and Shabaka Hutchings, known collectively as the improvisational crew The Comet is Coming. You might know Dan and Max from Soccer 96 and Hutchings from his many projects, which include Shabaka and the Ancestors and Sons of Comet. Their new album is called Hyperdimensional Expansion Beam, and it was recorded at Peter Gabriel's Real World Studios. It's a blur of electronic sound, funk ferocity, and free jazz squall, and as that title likely suggests, this conversation goes all over the map. Uh, We dig into concepts like apocalyptic imagination, the dynamics of improv and uh, why what they do is almost in defiance of something like artificial intelligence. All sorts of cool stuff. I will admit, though, that we taped this one very early in the morning for me in the U.S. They are all in London, and uh, so there are times where I am a little bit out of sorts sounding in this conversation, (laughs) but uh, that's why you listen, I'm sure. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to remind you that if you dig our conversations about music, art, and culture, you can help us keep creating them by checking out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. We don't have a big parent company that's paying us to make this show, so if you can support, uh, that's where all of our support comes from, listeners like yourself. Independent outfits are hard to come by these days, and we pride ourselves on spotlighting only the good shit. So if you appreciate that reportage, Patreon is the place where you can help us keep creating this show. All right, let's head in. The Comet is coming. This is Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Welcome to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. Uh, So glad to have the three of you with us. Um, Congratulations on the release of Hyperdimensional Expansion Beam, easily one of the best album titles of 2022. Um, Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Hi. Good to be here. You know, it's usually kind of gauche to talk to a band about its name you know like that's one of like the rules of of music journalism is you don't ask where did your band name come from but in the case of the comet is coming it feels like it's it is actually important to sort of uh 
acknowledge the apocalyptic imagination that kind of fuels the group. And, you know, I, I was I was reading, and Dan, I think you mentioned that when you guys first played together, to quote you, something like, you said, akin to discovering the sounds of Armageddon. And I was like, well, that's that's pretty much perfect. I wonder if, to start off, the three of you could talk with me about the role of apocalyptic imagination in the music of the comet is is coming uh generally speaking you sometimes see words like dystopian or post-apocalyptic how do you how do you guys feel about that sort of characterization and and with a, a record like this one i mean do you feel like you're you're pushing in different directions against that sort of apocalyptic tide I, that was a word salad to start off i apologize for launching with such a long long thing i should let you guys talk maybe <laughs> if you if you think think about crises you know you don't know which crises i would even refer to because there's so much crises in our stream of thought these days and i guess like we are quite we, we, we connect the, the music we make with, with our kind of watching of the world, I guess, like we're kind of tuned into what's happening and trying to always trying to look at things from a, a, a wider perspective, a kind of more, almost like, a, and, and the space theme is, is really about just looking at where we are from that perspective as well you know, uh, from the cosmic perspective. Um, but, and then, so when we play, we play quite intuitively and kind of, we believe that a lot of these, when, when we hear back our music and it's resonating with us, it's because it somehow expresses our being in the world. And, uh, you know, so the, yeah, the apocalypse, it's, it's kind of like the climax of everything, you know, that's kind of like, it seems to resonate with, with our minds. So I would, that sounded a bit disjointed <laughs> in my head, but there's a lot going on with the name. There's a lot going on with the world and, uh, you know, we're trying to connect the two things, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. When you think about the apocalypse and we think about the apocalyptic nature of, yeah, I guess like, you know, I, I guess what I'm fumbling towards here is the idea of the zeitgeist, right? And like, what is it that everybody is is feeling? And, and for the past five or six years, there have been just a, a number of sort of slow slow motion slow rolling unravelings of so many different systems that people previously maybe you couldn't count on them but they they still somehow seemed intact you know and as all of that stuff has fallen uh fallen away or become more disjointed or these different systems by which we sort of navigate the world as all of that stuff has fallen away i think that there's been a kind of confusion but I also remember feeling in the early days of the pandemic, you know, and you guys recorded this new record shortly after the lockdowns lifted, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the early days of the pandemic, I, I remember almost having a sense of optimism because my feeling was this is going to reveal the the infinite 
infinitely intricate ways that we're all connected, you know, um, something like a virus. And this is going to force us to really sort of like, I mean, I remember almost feeling like I had like some sort of utopian hopes at the start of the pandemic. Um, those have those faded away pretty quickly, unfortunately. But I wonder if if the three of you, you know, when we talk about the word apocalypse or or anything like that, that often tends to have just a purely negative connotation for people. But I wonder if there's like a more sort of hopeful side to this idea. I, one of my favorite comic books is this thing by Alan Moore, uh, Promethea, and it, it ends with an apocalypse. But my favorite part about it is like after the world ends the world just kind of keeps going <laughs> like it's just different now and i wonder if when you guys kind of as you're thinking about the sort of storylines that a record like this one can tell you know are there maybe more optimistic or interesting or or you know is is there an element of the grand finale you know that feels more let i guess hopeful is a is a funny word but is that a word that resonates with you guys Yeah, I mean, I mean, in some respects, like we're we're in a continual death and rebirth all the time. So there's always like thousands yeah. of endings. And if anything, for me, the name the comet is coming, the apocalyptic intention, more links to a much deeper feeling of time, um, and like to have the macroscopic view of our place within the cosmos and how. Uh, human beings only evolved uh because of the all the dinosaurs being wiped out by um by an asteroid hitting at the yucatan peninsula and it's like you know th this shows what a uh, knife edge everything's on and how so many things are down to chance and luck and um and how that is kind of um beautiful you know it's like but you're right i think a lot of ancient mythology is surrounded with uh there's certain gods who destroy and they always bring creation right. at the same time um and yeah making a void or a space or an emptiness leaves that space for something new to come into being um so in a lot of ways we're it, each of us are facing a, a personal apocalypse every day um you know how it really i mean i probably am not the right person to go into a deep one about the the failings of capitalism <laughs> but yeah you're right we're certainly in the spotlight is on the disintegration of of capitalism right now yeah I mean, all of that plays into it, but there's, you know, the thing about this record that I think is really interesting is uh, there's moments of just obviously huge intensity, and you guys are a tremendously heavy band that are able to do just really kind of like massive sounding, you know, riffs more, or, you know, that's that's the term that I keep coming back to, because it's riffy music in a in a powerful way. But I mean, there's also a lot of, there are moments of serenity and a lot of openness as well. So it, I guess what I mean is like the apocalypse is not a one, uh, a one mood event, you know? And I feel like this record kind of captures a lot of that. You guys recorded at, at Peter Gabriel's real world studio. What do you guys, what kind of conversations, if any, do you have before you go into 
a session, especially one that followed a long period of basically isolation on everybody's individual parts. Did you guys have conversations going into this record or do you go in more or less with a blank slate? More or less with a blank slate, I think. What's the, yeah, yeah what's the, I mean, it's, it's, I know that like the way a band works is usually on an intuitive level. You're not necessarily like planning everything out, but what is it about going in with, with pretty much nothing ready to go? What does that allow you guys to do? And, and what does it put the focus on when you are record? Cause you recorded, was it, it was like three or four days? Yeah. Four days. And, and and what are you guys doing in in that time? Are you just I mean, are you talking long long passages of just improvisation and just trying to figure things out? How do you even get started? You know, going into a studio like that. What's what's the vibe at Real World like? Um, the vibe in in terms of how we record is more or less the same in that we go in with nothing and we we find something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, there's a quote. There's a good quote that I I heard from this guy in Barbados, which is the aim is to know more and more about less and less oh. until you <laughs> know everything about nothing. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's quite a deep one. In that, you know, you can only really like if you've got a cup full of orange juice and it's not empty, and then you try to pour some water into it, you don't have water. You've got orangey water. <laughs> you know. Like you kind of got to be empty for something new to fill up your glass. Yeah. You know, like if you're going in with, with preconceived ideas, then you're not actually going to find new ideas. You're just going to come in with remnants of things that you think you should be doing. Um, whereas when we come together, it's more like it's, it kind of goes into a deep question of what is composition or what is improvisation? Because both, you know, we, both terms just relate to the creative process. Um, and a means of getting down ideas, you know, and as a band, we seem to be able to articulate our ideas pretty coherently in, in real time, um, in a way which makes it easy for then the post-production process to happen, uh, which is always a really kind of long, uh, process, you know, facilitated by, um, Dynamax particularly. After you guys recorded and these recordings sat for a while, right? I mean, basically, you, you recorded for four days and then came back to it later, and then, as you guys always do, sort of built built the record from those sessions. I, I guess one question I have is: Are you guys, you know, when, when you finish up with a bunch of days of of spontaneous composition? Do certain parts sort of linger in your heads while you're while you're waiting? I mean, when you, when you're in the midst of it, do you sometimes know like, okay, this is something that we can feel, or is it more of a process of discovery later where you're you're going back and you're listening through these sessions, and that's when the sort of secondary composition part comes into into play? Yeah, I I was gonna say like we really we kind of like locked the tunes in a box we didn't really listen to them for like yeah like you say six months and so we could hear it with a kind of fresh ears and i think what what that part is really about is you're just looking for you know things that have happened in this session you're just looking for something that feels relevant that feels fresh that somehow means something to you, you know, <clears throat> and we're looking at each other's 
kind of reaction to see if we're all like feeling one thing, you know, because we, we would have had hours of music. And so, but I think, you know, everything that we select somehow has got something about it that just captivates us and we can't explain how we did it or we, you know, it's, it has a, like you say, it has a certain energy or a bigness or a, you know, it's, it's you know, and, and, and that way we will always make stuff that's, that's fresh because it, it feels like that's what we're looking for when we're looking for something. We don't want to be rehashing a kind of vibe that we've already done or, you know, so we really, we really get to handpick like the best moments uh, or like our favorite moments and loads of stuff doesn't make it onto the record and we have to like, you know, things get sacrificed and, uh, or chopped down to squeeze as much, you know, exciting things on right. there as possible. Um, so yeah, but again, it, this is a different stage of the composition. It's a, you know, the first part is, is all positive energy. It's just all positive creation you're moving forward you're not discussing anything you're not tweaking anything you're just saying yes to everything that's happening in the room uh later on it's a very different headspace it's much more like you know you become the selector you're looking you know you're you're trying to pick those moments trying to isolate things trying to uh you know put put two bits together that you might not have thought of, you know, you, you, you can really experiment. This is more like chemistry at this point. You're kind of like taking things, mixing them together in test tubes and, uh, you know, and, and, and things are starting to happen on another level. So, uh, yeah, different headspace. And it's, and, and I think having a six month gap was really great. Cause it, you know, it's a, it's a totally different way of uh being creative right right yeah i, I once have a there's a quote from charles bukowski where he said that uh, when he writes he puts in a drawer and locks it for three or four months so it means that when you just when you read it back it reads like a different author and so that's mm. that's i've kind of um i do that now and uh but actually we we're making a couple of other records um at the time as well so i i didn't want to start comment until we'd finish these other records to have a clean break um but yeah there is something magic where you've forgotten it because it is such spontaneous composition and it is so much in the moment when you record sometimes you you can't remember a thing of like hours and hours of music um but yeah um i think it's very clear once you start listening to it what what the winners are and we pretty much agree together on on what they are um most of the time maybe like 90 percent of the time in in the in the notes i think somebody refers to the process almost like writing in reverse um you guys are going on tour soon what's the process like of learning how to play songs that you never uh learned to play in the first place does that does that make sense <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is like writing in reverse because you kind of, not, I, I say that because um, I think 
a lot of people would write the music quite laboriously, maybe or take their time for months and months and then yeah. go to yeah. the studio and do- document what they've written. Whereas we um, capture that explosive energy of the the first exciting moments of coming up with an idea and then have to deal with the kind of the fallout from that, which that, you know, certain things are lacking precision here and there, or some things need a little bit more of a, a narrative arc to them or, or, or reducing down or editing. So you're kind of doing the composition like after the fact. Um, well, you're doing the composition in the moment and after the fact. <laughs> Double um, spontaneous composition. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, it, and sure, it takes like four months to make the record, but I, I'd, I, I don't know. That might even still be like quicker than if we wrote it in advance. I don't know. It probably ends up being about the same. Um, but, but um, yeah, I've forgotten your question. But it was right, sorry, yeah. writing in reverse. Well, what do you guys when when you when you're um, in the studio? Let's go back to that. And you're and you're just like say you're just showing up. And you know, how did the three of you get started on a project? I mean, is there uh, is there a lot of hanging out? I mean, what's what's the what's the ratio sort of of like chill out, connect with each other, kind of get a vibe established into like. <laughs> Okay, now let's go. Let's play music. I mean, do you have to warm? Do you have to warm the the fire for a bit? You know, sort of in a in a in a personal way before you just dive into this stuff. Or are you guys the kind of dudes who just show up and just immediately start? And and I have to imagine that the studio is probably just full of possibilities. How do you even get started on knowing what to do? I mean, I would I would point to the fact that the studio is built on top of a mill like a water mill and it has this kind of cascading fountain of water just like raging outside the main door of the studio so i think a lot of times on breaks and stuff we were we would open that door and just stand out and be blasted with this kind of white noise like like this sort of sound and uh i think we a lot of time we you you would find us just standing there doing like breathing exercises and just like just zoning out with this kind of white noise which is almost like a kind of silence um and uh yeah and we we don't we wouldn't really talk i don't think we talk that much especially we wouldn't talk about the music that much because we were trying not to be critical at that point trying to be open and non-judgmental so once the once all the the equipment's set up and everyone's happy uh it did it almost feels like a gig you know you can you can feel everything set and we just we would just begin uh, that's how i remember it at least we would just begin and it would start from silence and yeah it was almost kind of daunting but you you quickly build up momentum and the ideas would just start people would start throwing out ideas and uh yeah just yeah just go downstream with it really the first time that the that the the three of you played together was was a purely improvised setting is that right shibaka you joined the band on on stage i think okay. and um, yeah, I joined them on one of their on one of their tunes. So I guess it wasn't purely improvised, but I only contributed an improvised kind of 
part to it. Right. Guys, what did what did what did that feel like once I mean once once you sort of what did it feel like hearing Shabaka add his his flavor to to what the two of you were doing as Soccer 96? Was it a pretty revelatory situation? Um I'd no, I'd be more interested to hear what it felt like to Shabaka <laughs> to play with us. <laughs> yeah, it felt pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. Um, you know, lots of energy, you know, lots of intensity, you know. I think that just spark up the creative um muscle. You you were a fan of of the group, right, Shabaka? What was it that you liked that that you were drawn to uh in terms of, of the dynamic? Um, I like the intensity that was made, you know, I like the just yeah, just the actual dynamic, the the, the ability to actually kind of yeah kind of push push dynamically um so not get locked into intensity that doesn't have um dynamic variation right right you know yeah because that's uh sorry go ahead yeah no, no i was just gonna say yeah, that's the kind of the key you know for me in terms of like if you can actually get to those kind of intense spaces but then kind of live within them as opposed to get locked into just um you know bodily tension when you get you know intense you all of you play in various combinations and in other groups and you know have lots of you know collaborators what is it about a three piece that you know when it comes to the three piece format i've always found that the trio setting kind of gives in some ways it's like an optimal amount of uh leeway is given to each individual member of a three-piece you know there's like there's enough space for everybody to get in pretty distinct ideas but also three people allows for the kind of symbiotic collaboration that you hear on the record do you do you guys have any thoughts on the trio format as people who work in all sorts of various contexts yeah well i mean like for me kind of um it's great because I'm I'm playing the, the harmonic instrument, so I I, I play the bass right. and the chords. So it means there's not another bass player or guitarist or chord player. You know, and there's no one I can like mess up, and it also means I can uh, kind of move when I want to move, and it doesn't have to be coordinated with someone. So that makes the improvisation and composition like yeah. really fluid. Because if I just want to feel, if I feel a chorus is needed or a ch chord change is needed here, I want to try something, I can just try it. And then there's not another player there um, playing chords where it would suddenly sound very messy. That said, obviously, Shabaka is playing melody and playing within the harmonic system. Um, but that's one of the beauties of the group is that I can, uh, we can just either eyeball each other or just naturally know that the feeling is like, we're going to move somewhere else. And that's where Shabaka is like incredible. Cause you just like move to a new melody and it'd be like, bang, this is like the chorus. And equally, cause I've been playing with Max since I was 18. It's like, we, everyone says we've got some kind of telepathic wavelength, but we tend to move together when something's yeah. about to happen like sometimes by like sometimes it's just it's, it's there'll be a drum fill that's exactly the same rhythm as some extra fill i'm doing on the bass or something so it's like to have that telepathy as a kind of rhythm spacey section and then have that that telepathy also with shabaka 
it just it, it it just enables us to do what we do um both in the studio in terms of composition and then on stage in terms of if we want to extend a section if we want to jam for a bit on stage you know we're all very comfortable with that yeah you know the the i've asked various people on this show about the idea of musical telepathy i asked bill frizzell once about it and i just asked him point blank like do you sort of believe that there is some sort of thing as telepathy between musicians and he was like yeah i think so he told this story about being in the, on an airport with paul motion and he was singing a melody in his head bill was and then Paul finished the phrase out loud and I was like it's one of the most amazing things. I mean, do you guys oh, wow. do you guys feel telepathy is a I mean, another note I have here is that you the evolution of consciousness <laughs> is a phrase that has come up in terms of uh you know, the comet is coming and that you're interested in a lot of these narratives about I don't know, you know, AI or or tech or you know on the on the dystopian or cyberpunk front you know there's a lot to discuss there but just on a real basic level i mean do you do you feel like some sort of extrasensory communication does happen you know for the three of you when you're in this context i mean i think there's a lot of body language sure going on and and you might only see, you might only see it like in the corner of your eye but we, we once did a test me and dan where he did some but like we did this test where he thought of what he was trying to communicate, like a like a, a music, like a stage cue or something, and he give me that look, and I could tell him that oh you're trying to tell me like let's keep going or you know, and every time he 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 did a look, I yeah. could guess what it was, and it was really freaky because we suddenly realized how much we knew what the looks meant even though we were doing it subconsciously and uh and we realized we'd built up a whole language of movement that from playing together for so long that we could and playing in a particular group like soccer 96 was just a duo for years so we learned how to just communicate like how to construct the structures of the tracks without you know we didn't know how we were doing it but then i think what i realized was a lot of it's to do with yeah. little looks or you know little little cues i mean maybe this is not it's not as exciting <laughs> as telepathy <laughs> but but it, i i was i was impressed like how how there is this whole language going on because a lot of time i'm right. not even looking um you know i'm just gazing off but i still pick up on things or i'll, I'll suddenly know when i need to look you know it's, it'll be that moment where the music will reach a point and you'll just you'll suddenly look up because you just you heard something that you know you've got to look up now and then something will happen and it happens so fast you know it's like when you watch uh when you watch sports and they show you the slow motion reflexes of athletes in there everyone go, and i always look at that like how is their brain thinking that fast or whatever but it, a lot of it's just like you know if someone throws you a ball you <laughs> might catch it you know just in a split second so you know it's, it's that kind of thing and uh and i i love i love playing music on the edge like that with where it's kind of open i love i love the feeling of that because it feels 
free, but it also feels like we're kind of moving together in a flock or something. Yeah, a lot of times athletes will talk about flow state, you know, and like like you said, if somebody throws you a yeah. ball, you might catch it, especially if you don't stop to think, what if I don't catch it, right? Like if you just if you just let let yourself yeah. catch the ball. But that idea of being in that sort of flow state, both individually and communally, is a very interesting thing. And I think it has a lot of parallels to the kinds of questions that people are asking now about the sort of tension between indiv- individualism or individualistic outlooks and collective outlooks, right? So, I mean, I feel like there's a, I feel like, mm. you know, a, a, a band is like an interesting microcosm of what it looks like to have both this sort of internal and solitary approach, but to align that with others is a really interesting thing and it allows for what you guys yeah. have, have accomplished, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, I'd say that I've thought the same thing and, and what I like about music and what I like about this band in particular is that you you know you're satisfied in both ways because you you feel like you can express yourself you feel like you can you know you can throw things out there and someone will throw something back and you're in a communication you know and and you're also moving together and and teaming up and covering each other and like building things together and so it in that way, I th- I think maybe you're right that the trio is is this kind of nice balance where you can have both of these energies. Uh, both, you know, we don't have to be too right. uh, rigid, but we also can can create a lot of power by moving in the same direction. So, yeah. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. The band draws a lot on sort of science fiction and uh, futurism in terms of uh, some tonal aspects and and the visual cues and all of that. Um, you know, I'm I'm I've long been interested in the sort of overlap between, say, science fiction and and music or science fiction and psychedelia. Um, do you guys come from sort of a shared, let's say, like outside of the music? Are are there you know sort of shared in, interests in that that genre that the three of you have? I only won't. I'm just seeing if Shabs wants to answer this because uh, I realize I think me and Max have just done a, a whole lot of talking. Um, but, I would say also, probably no. I think Max and Dan have more of a shared uh, interest in specific types of science fiction than I have. In fact, 
you know, I read some science fiction, but I think they've not necessarily read the things that I've read and I've not read the things that they've read or te- or watched the things that they've watched. Um, and I think that's what makes a good balance, you know? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Shubaka, what, what, when, obviously you're drawing on, you know, similar there's it's it's like it's similar but not the exact same thing with some of your other projects there's there's common threads that tie them together but not necessarily um it doesn't sound none of none of your projects sound alike which is which is one thing and certainly this one has a distinct feel but on the science fiction side or the more futuristic side i mean where 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 are you coming from on that front um, well, I mean, the thing that I've read is like, say, Octavia Butler, yeah. Samuel Delaney, um, and then things like, you know, like Last Angel of History, um, like kind of Caldro Escher, and I've, I've kind of looked at a lot of what he's kind of said in relation to Afrofuturism. Sure. Um, obviously, you know, people like Sun Ra, but for me, Sun Ra isn't necessarily as important as the things that he references um, in relation to like um, Cometicism and just that school of philosophical thought. So that's where I'm kind of coming from in, in relation to that, you know, kind of speculative kind of area. Yeah. Just as you said that, I looked over at my bookshelf and I've got a collection of Sun Ra poetry that is called The Planet is Doomed. So I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like I know where, where you're coming from. But Sun Ra is another interesting character where he's, when he talks about the planet is doomed or he issues these apocalyptic warnings, I get, again, a similar sense to what I get listening to you guys. Not that it sounds the same or that you're drawing from the same exact reference points, but Sun Ra's talking about the planet Earth is doomed, and there's almost a kind of like, uh, like excitement to this idea, you know? I mean, he's like all about creating narratives and creating our own myths, and I feel like maybe that's what you're talking about drawing from more so than just the sound of the music. Yeah, I mean, when Sun Ra says the planet is doomed, if you look at it in the context of what he's saying is the, the kind of ideal or not that necessarily ideal he, he basically kind of saying that the the, the the area that we that we are that the planet has been pushed in by the kind of forces that lead it the the hegemonic forces that lead it is taking it to this destruction yeah you know so i know as opposed to say civilizations before that haven't necessarily pushed it in that particular direction in in which the kind of industrial orientation is pushing it towards you know a course of yeah it's its own demise yeah yeah you know so then there would be a celebration that actually things have run its course you know if you're thinking in relate you know if you're thinking in the context of you know a, a black american who's you know experienced a lot of kind of crap in his life from us uh you know a society that is taking you know the world on a course that you know, from his perspective, is you know obviously going to be you know lead to destruction. You know that coming destruction is just a chance for new things to be reborn. Yeah. Or else, if there isn't destruction, things will just continue how they are. And if you know you're thinking that that's not the way things should be, then you know the fact of the coming destruction is a cause for celebration yeah. at the chance of a rebirth or the chance of a renewed you know creative potential. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. 
when it comes to that sort of let's say cyberpunk element um you mentioned delaney uh max dan i mean are are are, are you guys drawing from say some of those those sort of cyberpunk traditions sort of uh maybe late 70s early 80s i, I you know i'm i'm thinking about people like William Gibson or, you know, the sort of Blade Runner synth idea, you know, things that are very resonant right now in our in our time, these sort of retro futuristic views, what we thought the future was going to be like versus what the future is. Are you guys drawn drawn from that from that sphere somewhat? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think something that I've always liked in, in sci fi is when it seems particularly realist. So, yeah, you mentioned um, Blade Runner um even something fantastical like star wars i always liked that the millennium falcon was always yeah. breaking and they always needed to fix it and i feel like um the simps that i use are, are old they're from the late 70s and early 80s and i guess there's just a feeling like everything in the future will be new but actually i quite like that everything in the future will be just as gnarly and old and breaking <laughs> as ever um so uh, i feel like the simps i use they, they have a retro futuristic sound because they're um there's something about uh the electricity flowing through the keyboards it gives them the sound that has always been used on on sci-fi movies because it, it has this this feeling like it's it's very detached from uh organic instruments you know instruments you play like a violin or something like that um that's making sound out of its actual body it's it's not doing that it's, it's actually processing voltage and so this gives it this robotic sound and makes it feel futuristic but um yeah then my stimps are always breaking and they're rusty and they're kind <laughs> of gnarled um but um i think the way we produce the music is also it doesn't have that crisp kind of um sequence they're synths but they're not sequenced you know it doesn't sound like techno or or like or it doesn't have that kind of robotic calculated feel of other kind of retro music like futuristic music like craft work because those guys everything was quite um regimented um so it's something like we're using these futuristic sounds but they'll go through a tape echo they'll go through a spring reverb uh, it'll be recorded to tape and it'll be like performed live so it has this deeply like human um quality to it right it's like it's it's the moment where humans combine with machines so i i like i i liken it more to yeah the very near future perhaps where we're going to start combining um more and more um with with ai yeah i mean is um and things like that and so you, you get a couple of tracks with some kind of haunting almost like choir ai <laughs> choir sounds in there like on lucid dreamer and it's just like almost the sound of yeah the, the awakening of this kind of ai consciousness or something i think that's a concept that freaks a lot of people out this idea of you know well if an ai can be conscious what even is consciousness you know uh are we are we programmed in some sense are we you know are we free to change the programming ourselves mm. you know all these different questions that that come to mind but 
I find that question. Yeah, I think we're a very long way off. I think we're a long way off, uh, <laughs> Roy, what's having true consciousness. And I think we are programmed, but from like like billions and billions of years of evolution. So um, I think there's a lot of hubris involved in us thinking we can actually retro retro um, uh, engineer uh, human consciousness in, in AI. I think we're like absolutely miles off but it's a great pr campaign from futurists to tell us that <laughs> we're just around the corner because then they can make millions of uh, dollars in uh, investment on yeah no i don't i i certainly don't disagree um because i mean you see these like these like robot things that people make like i'm thinking of the robot dogs that you see on twitter all the time <laughs> that like <laughs> you can like fight or whatever and it's like yeah there's a there's a terrifying, you know, it, it 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 could be terrifying if you imagine that as a terrifying thing, but then you also think about, yeah. How would you define consciousness? Well, yeah, I was I was gonna say like this is a, this you is know, a huge huge philosophical the, area. The, yeah. the real question, yeah, the real question is is what is consciousness? Because the uh, the the people who think we're close to AI or that AI is going to be conscious, consciousness is just the processing of information is whereas if you think that well yeah if you if you don't think consciousness is the processing of information which is like that's that's well, a calculator process information you put in some information and it works out the answer but it's not doesn't think about it doesn't think about it's not it's not conscious in terms of it doesn't have any feelings or it doesn't experience it, it, it doesn't experience the moment I, I, I just think we've got a, ex the experience of a moment. I think I actually starting to think of it the other way around now, where I start to think of trying to imagine unconsciousness. Because if we're assuming that everything is unconscious and we're the conscious things, what is our understanding of unconsciousness? Like we don't even like that's almost impossible to imagine. But we imagine it that it exists everywhere, and so. Really, what we do know is that that we have consciousness. What we can't know is is unconsciousness. So, if there's also the possibility that you know, rather than the dualism of like there's matter and there's consciousness, you know, there might only be one of those things. Now, some people will say it's just mad matter and consciousness is is an illusion or it's like uh i've forgotten the word for it uh, uh an emergent property of matter but then you could look at it the other way around and say well there's consciousness and then what the hell is matter and when you look at matter there's not even anything physical there right <laughs> so you you know so it's like well how do we know that there's actually matter when everything is you know and you have quantum mechanics talking about you know, the observer being an essential part of existence, then you really start to look at the other way around and go like, well, what if there's only consciousness and like, you know, the idea of unconsciousness is just a, a trick of the mind. I think it's just That's two, kind of this, this consciousness with a big C and this consciousness with a small C. So I think we're talking slightly semantically, but definitely in panpsychism the idea that all of the universe is conscious and then things em emerge from that i'm super down with that way of looking at things yeah i mean i think yeah absolutely the consciousness i was just speaking on was more um i don't think it's a, a uniquely human thing i think it's like you can track down 
to dogs and you can see that a dog is either like not just processing information is super happy at certain times it's super bummed at other times and then you go okay well does it end at dogs and then you can like keep going down through levels of um maybe intelligence maybe like perceived sentience until you get down to i don't know like a bacterium um i mean does a bacterium that's being eaten by a predatory bacterium feel anything about that it's hard to save away but you probably say yeah on some level it's just uncomfortable it's like no this is not me surviving this is me dying right on some level and in the same way that like a kind of snail has like a very simple lens and kind of aims towards shade or to light because it wants to get to the algae um it, it's feeling like oh it's a good idea to go over there by the light you know because i'm going to eat algae i mean is that conscious probably on some level um but is um that the harder thing to get your head around is like whether a coding um outside of um this uh, evolutionary biological um progression uh, like a series of mathematical coding that we've put in um two computers whether at what point yeah do we say that that has become um a, consciously aware of its environment and responding through feelings to it and then taking action uh, in that way so i guess it's like about whether it has enough sense data and um yeah but maybe we just uh, stick I, some I eyes stick i think is i don't i think it's it's a little bit of a trick because when you when you we automatically think that we're the most conscious things and that slugs are less conscious than us and we have a kind of sliding scale of stuff and people will probably try to put ai somewhere along that sort of line that goes down into no, like this is this is like the fundamental difference this is the fundamental difference though you know understand my position is that i'm not including ai at all within the biological situation it's not biological you see so that's that's my sliding. Yeah. So my scale is not a science scale i'm not going to put that ai anywhere on the on the biological scale because it's, it's not biological it's mechanical yeah but i'm i'm thinking of it like in terms of the universal energy and just or the universe in a whole and like if something is we don't actually have any experience of what it's like to be an animal or what it's like to be a snail and if you were a snail, you might have a simpler form of consciousness, but the consciousness might be even more pronounced. It might be more visceral. Oh, yeah, snails are it deep, might... man. Snails are <laughs> yeah, deep. Yeah, it, 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 this, is, this is what I mean. I agree more, yeah. There, there might be stronger forms of consciousness that we're unaware of that could exist in other animals or other machines. Like, this, it's almost impossible until we've, like, hyperlinked our brains with machines and with animals it's gonna be very hard <laughs> i just feel like that was i mean that was so much fun just listening to you guys go back and forth because i do feel these are like th these questions right they're just like endless trails that lead you in endless fascinating directions right and that's partially why i mean we don't have a great definition of what consciousness is. That's what it boils down to in a lot of ways, right? Like we, it can't, yeah. it, it can't be explained away uh, using purely uh, scientific uh, 
terminology. And I feel like that's why that's why the question of consciousness is is so interesting. And that's why, you know, you look at like you look at the way like technology, we, we often um, as a, as humans, we, we tend to kind of like think of our brains along the lines of whatever the most dominant technology is. Right. So at one point, people thought of the body as like a series of like tubes and air levers and you know what i mean because that was the technology of the time now now that we live in a computing age we definitely think of our brains along the lines of like computer coding which obviously code i'm thinking of the the track from the record right and that you could draw a line between you know the strands of our dna and html on some you know website or whatever these are all systematic ways of thinking but what i think is so fun and interesting about the record is that that man machine uh dichotomy and the weird middle ground between it because you're taking these things that you recorded live and with uh, uh a very human touch and then you're taking those you're resequencing you're moving things around you're applying post-production touches but it never loses sense of that humanity and uh and that humanity is something that I think is, we live in an algorithmic age, and I think that there's an almost rebellious quality to just having something stay human, you know, identifiably human. And I don't know if that's something that you guys strive to make sure that the record has that quality, to make sure that there's a, a human touch to what you're doing. Yeah, I think that there's no there's no fear of it not having a human touch. I think that it w- it may be, it could not if we tried to too hard, you know. But I think right. coming in, you know, just as humans with freedom and with listening and interaction, you know, and spirit. Because I think the lot the thing that a lot of these conversations miss is the thing that yes, you know, the majority of cultures around the world. If you don't look at Western culture as the main thing, the majority the thing that the majority of cultures around the world kind of have at the center. Is spirit, you know, is the the fact of spirit, the, the fact of spiritual energy, and that is just the thing that you know is you know is not AI. It's the thing that can't be unhuman. You know, when you get into right. a room and you are deep in the zone, and you get to a point that can't be verified or explained. You know, you get to a point when there's something that comes from outside of you that gives you an energy that allows you to do something that you haven't thought of, you know, the unexplained, you know, the inexplicable. That's the kind of the thing that is not scientific. It is spiritual, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's, that, that's the kind of the factor that will always be there and that will always separate us from any sort of programming. The fact that there is something else other than the three people in a room doing calculations. Right, right. I mean, do you ever feel tempted to, to, to? I mean, do you, do you feel like that, that, that spiritual component, that thing that happens when there's people together in a room and you're drawing from something else? I mean, do you allow your minds to wander towards what that is? I mean, is an explanation of what you're drawing from even remotely helpful, or is it just the fact that it's there for you to access that? makes it such a compelling notion does uh, does that make sense yeah no i don't think it is helpful to try to define it i think to define it is just to try to limit it to 
the parameters of our our understanding and by definition it's ununderstandable right. you know because it's consistently changing and it's consistently evolving as everything evolves in the world you know yeah 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 there is one element to music being instrumental as well which does like leave it open to interpretation like across the world from different people different cultures different languages which i do enjoy because sometimes songs are very prescriptive about what they're about um so there's some joy in, in having not so many lyrics to had a couple of guests obviously back in yeah, on the last previous records yeah. but just by the absence of lyrics uh, creates the opening to interpretation and and value and meaning and um i mean ironically some people do feel like it's about similar kinds of things so there, there's a there's obviously a thread there but i wouldn't want to prescribe it to with with song titles anyone in particular yeah with song titles are those just there to almost give like a a hint or a little bit of a guardrail you know what i mean in terms of sort of like provide because it's because yeah. you want to give people some context right some something to like sort of step onto and then from there maybe they can take it wherever right on you know like there's a track the first track our first single is called code and code's quite open you know what is a code and codes are often uh implicit you know and they are um contain meaning but sometimes it's a secret code quite often it's invisible like a dna right is a code that we all run on and but you never really get to interact with it but it's also from your ancestors and you can pass it on to children it's a terrifically important um biological memory system and and but it's it's implicit we, we we don't really interact with it like you know unless you want to do a dna test that's about as far as we can get <laughs> um right but um yeah but that in, in a way that's like a kind of feedback loop of um that pandora's box of the meaning of the track it's like um if you know what i mean it's like the code is the code and that's the name of the track Right, <laughs> but, but, but you can unpack it. it. You can like unpack the names. Everyone will feel it differently or apply it differently. I think uh, that's only natural. You know, some people yeah think it's political music. Some people are gonna think it's psychological. Some people think it's you know it's 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 all of these things, and that's. That's what's great about it. I think it's it's non-specified, um, and and that's probably the best way to listen to it as well. If you can just be open to it, yeah, yeah. You know, you can hang you can hang whatever meanings you want on it, and it will it will you know serve a different function. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been an absolute blast talking with you about this stuff and getting very heady. It's pretty early morning for me, so I'm I'm thinking like already thinking like by 2 p.m. today, what am I going to be thinking about now that I've started my morning on this this trail? And uh, I'm very uh, I'm very interested to see what that will be, because like I said, yeah, I, I love music that opens up space for these kinds of questions, these kinds of inquiries into what is spirit? What is consciousness? What are what are we doing together? What are we doing individually? And how are we all 
you know, contributing towards this narrative. And, and, and like I said, the comet is coming. It's like a little microcosm for, for so much of the energy of these days. And uh, I really appreciate that the three of you were able to take time to sit down with me and, and discuss it and unpack it and uh, get into some really fun territory. So thank you, thank you so much for making the record and for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're great. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate your listen. Reminder, you can support this podcast by checking out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. Your support helps us to keep making the show. Uh, We'd also love it if you left a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. We are part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network along with lots of other great shows. I want to recommend Dad, Bod, Rap Pod, Secret Skin, Open Mike Eagle, uh, Bjork, Sonic Symbolism, nothing but cool stuff, the Shiro's uh, program, TalkHouse Podcast Network, putting out great music pods, so check them out. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton, and the show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST, on Sirius XMU. We will be back next week with another all-new episode of Transmissions joined by Blondie drummer Clem Burke. I hope you will join us. Stay safe until then. This transmission is concluded.